0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of OCONUS, The Contractor's Life. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. My guest today is Stephen Hackworth. He is a former member of the United States Air Force, a paramedic, and a private security contractor. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing really good, man. Um, you know, we had a nice uh, sidebar conversation here before this. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get into it later. Um, but you have a very, in- and we've talked before, but you have a very interesting uh, history, background, and whatnot. Um, so for the folks that are listening, uh, can you uh, provide some uh, background bio on you prior to becoming a private security contractor?
1: Sure, you know, the, the thing is, I've, I've always envied those guys that, you know, they always knew what they wanted to do. You had the one person that's like, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a mechanic or, you know, I want to be, a, you know, I want to be a flight engineer, things. I never had that. I, I have, I, to this day, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, so the background is really, really just learning. I just love learning new things and doing new things. So you know, I started off, I had uh, my own, like, little lawn service back when you could go out with a lawnmower in a bag and do people's lawns. And that kind of morphed into a little bit uh, more uh, detailed lawn service. And I worked uh, uh, RV and park model trailer mechanicing and uh, and structural things. I did some carpentry, uh, painting, uh, worked in a, a computer clean room, you know, where we used to make microchips. Hmm. I would run around with, uh, you know, the clean room garb, and all you could see is people's eyes. You'd have the face mask on, respirators. So when you went out on your lunch break, you had no idea who you're talking to until you heard their voice and looked like real close in their eyes. Huh. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah,
0: I, so- I I remember those days, but I don't remember being that. Wow, that's a that's amazing. Okay.
1: Oh yeah, we had airlocks and laminar flows, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, yeah, I joined the Air Force. I did, uh, did a four-year basic stint in the Air Force as a survival instructor. Uh, I went to contracting in Saudi Arabia from 86 to 91 in support defense contracts, which kind of got my feet wet and my interest into to being overseas. And I worked on a, a little island uh, that was owned by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, Johnson Atoll, and I uh, worked at the marina. I ran the marina there for a couple years. I moved to Alaska in, I uh, think was, uh, 95. And as soon as I got here, I volunteered with the fire and EMS service and, and learned firefighting and got my skills uh, as far as emergency medical. Uh, I kind of honed those. And I worked on the North Slope uh, for the La- uh, the oil fields, uh, you know, petroleum stuff, doing seismic surveys, which is interesting. I worked at the Alaska Marine Terminal, which is the terminus of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. And I worked there on their fi- fire team during, uh, doing industrial firefighting. And I honed my skills as a firefighter as well. I went to um, some schools in Texas, Texas A&M. I went to Delgado in Louisiana and I learned marine firefighting. And I got on full-time with the fire service in Valdez, Alaska – and I worked there for full time for several years. And I got on with the uh, tactical medic for the uh, the police department here where I learned and honed my tactical skills. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see I, I just I like new things. I being mean, I'm, I'm curious about everything. And I'm still mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I actually want to be <laughs> 60 years old and figure out what I want to be. I, I think I want to be retired is what I want to be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah so uh, the, the tactical i started looking into uh being a security contractor you know they were talking about uh some of the main com- the, the main companies and they always had real interesting stories so i found out what the qualifications i had to have to do that and that was the tactical stuff so i got on with the SWAT team to, became the tactical medic and I did my time there, learned my learned my trade, and then in 2007, uh, I got into security contracting uh, with a big one of the big companies, the main companies. And my first security contract, I spent seven months in uh, Basra, Iraq, at the U.S. regional embassy office there.
0: Hmm. Okay, so um, you you got so you started out early. Uh, your career, you started, you, uh, Saudi Arabia, is said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, that was 86. Yes. Wow. Um, so that must've been, I mean, I know it was, you know, many years later, but in that time shift between, and you said you worked there until 91 and you worked on a defense department contract.
1: Yes. Yes. We, uh, we supported, most of it was supporting training and education for the aircraft and their bases okay uh, that was because you know they, they really didn't have uh, you know Gren- grenade had come and gone a long time ago what was that that was uh, mid 80s uh, and then so we had that lag of really not that much going on until the Desert Shield Desert Storm mm-hmm. uh, 90 and then 91 uh, with the the taking back of Kuwait City right yeah
0: I, <laughs> wow you know that's it's interesting because I remember, uh, hearing, I want to say it was the late '80s. I don't remember what '87, '88, something like that. When I first started hearing, you know, Desert Shield and Desert This, and it's like what? And uh, you know, a, year, a few years later, of course, we had that. But uh, so Saudi Arabia. So you were there for three '86 to '91.
1: Yeah, I got in a full five years. It, wow. It, it's strange, but it seems like all of my transitions are on April Fool's Day. Oh. <laughs> I signed up for the Air Force on April Fool's Day. I moved out to. I landed in Saudi Arabia on April Fool's Day. I moved out to the island um, on April Fool's Day, and uh, I made the decision to move up to Alaska on April 1st as well. So
0: that's interesting. Um, that's right? <laughs> yeah. I mean that 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 uh, a lot of questions come to mind on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so uh, so the contracting you did, and which is pr- uh, in Saudi Arabia and other more or less uh, stable reg- uh, countries in that region, uh, but contracting and living and working as a Westerner, specifically an American, in Saudi Arabia has got to be different, at least in some respects, than working as a private security contractor in say in Iraq or Afghanistan or other countries. Correct.
1: Well, sure. Um, and one of the, the best, if you're in private security, well, not necessarily private security, but let's say you're in a DOS high threat or there's some other security operation that you can do, one of the greatest places and probably the charity that you can get to is getting into Jerusalem, into Israel. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the same thing as the idea or the feel of when I was working in Saudi Arabia because – you still have your job to do, but you are allowed to live on the economy, mm. right? So it, it's like being a full-time tourist, and, and mm. Israel has a very, very wonderful Mediterranean feel, and they had the, the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea on one side, you got the Red Sea on the other side, and Saudi Arabia had the Persian Gulf on one side, great diving, and but you had the Red Sea on the other side, which is amazing diving, and mm. once you work there... Those areas are not available to the average person right um, but oh so- yeah the, the the travel restrictions are, are, are pretty tight are they not sure. yeah well you basically you can't go there unless you have a personal invite hmm. um, and and it's very 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 difficult it's not you know you can't just go as a tourist in Saudi Arabia which is really a terrible thing they they have an interesting culture there's wonderful things every country has something wonderful within it if you can find it Um, the problem when you get into the security contracting is more often than that, you're not, you're, you're isolated. You have your own compound, unless you're running a motorcade and unless you're outside on a mission, you don't leave that compound. So you don't go out and, and interact. Uh, now Afghanistan until several years ago, um, again, the, uh, The State Department or the high threat people—they really didn't go out. But if you were working with NGOs like uh, the Red Cross or USAID, and even some of the uh, defense contracts with DoD, you could go out and make excursions into town, and you could do uh, the—you know—you go to restaurants, you could go shopping at the shooks, all kinds of things like that. Mm. And that was was the wonderful thing about Saudi Arabia is that uh, although you lived in a walled compound. You could still come and go. You could buy your own car. Um, when you were off work, it was your own your own thing. Hmm. You know? Wow, that is a big difference. <laughs> uh. So you learn, you learn how to accept. Uh, it, it's kind of an une- uneasy détente with the locals sometimes, but you know because there's always cultural clashes. Hmm. But you have to much much like. We, ex- we expect that if people come to America, we expect them to obey our customs. And, and even though they, they look confused sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, you explain it to them, but, and they'll do the same thing. If you're living, uh, if you're living on the economy in, in other countries, right. you know, you're not, don't be afraid. You talk to the people, you learn their cultures, you learn their traditions, you learn why they do what they do. and, you can accept it or not accept it, but you have to basically go along with it unless you just want to lock yourself and isolate yourself on your own compound and stick your head in the sand, which is what a lot of guys would do. Hmm. But I think you're cheating yourself out of, out of a lot of experiences and a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding because when you come away from it, – it's a lot different being in the Middle East, being locked on your own security compound – than it is being in the Middle East and going out amongst the population and learning why things are the way they are, why they think the way they do, why they do the things that they've done, what the history is that's forced this into their attitudes. Right. Once you understand that, you can kind of when you when you come back to the States, you don't get upset about a lot of things that happen. You know, you just say, well that's that's the way it is and this is the way they think and it's gonna take time.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. Uh, You you talk about the acceptance of their culture, their customs, their rules, their laws, uh, the, you know, everything they do. Uh, And I don't think they necessarily expect you to, um, you know, convert to becoming a Muslim or anything like that. They probably would like it. I know I had a number of um, offers. (laughs) So there's like, that's okay, Thank you. Uh, Mostly because I just didn't trust the person that was inviting me i thought they had an ultimate an ultimatum or a ulterior motive for getting me to go to their mosque but uh uh, but
1: but that's pretty con that's pretty common when we do the work that we do uh it's much like uh like being if you're in law enforcement or something like that you're always wondering what the ulterior motive is and it's sad but that's just the point of survival for yourself and your family
0: yeah, no, and don't get me wrong, I mean, it, you know, and I, I, I would guess that probably most of the people that offered me that were probably genuine and sincere, you know, just like their offers to go to this neighborhood or that district with them in town, but don't worry if you're with me, you'll be safe, blah, 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 um, you know, and it's not, and I think what, what it came to at some point was not that I didn't trust them per se, it's, it was the other people, you know, the people that I don't know that I haven't worked with. Um, how how might that respond? But, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of times once you do take that step and I'm and I'm sure you can speak to this, um, you realize that maybe that was
1: a baseless fear. Sure, that that's one point. But, you know, like I remember what always comes to my mind is I was uh, I was in uh, Italy at the Coliseum and I was looking at these statues And someone approached me just out of blue, and they started explaining the history of this particular statue I was looking at and talking about the design flaws and how they overcame all these things and then offered, you know what? He says, you know what? Italy is full of these things. You know, I have a car. We can drive to Milan. We can drive to Florence. I can show you Kumo. We can show all these things. And that sounded wonderful. 99% wonderful but that 1% in the back of your mind is thinking it puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I remember, uh, one, one time in particular when I was in Beirut, um, uh, in my contracting over there, uh, why I was over there. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go into, but anyway, but I spent a week in, in Beirut and I had to, um, I had a local guide and, and I finally took the plunge and just said, you know what, there's things I have to do while I'm here. This, I hired this guy to be basically my chauffeur, my bodyguard, and uh, he took me places that I probably wouldn't have gone without
2: him. <laughs>
1: sure, sure, but that, that's somebody that you have history with right? And they're hired for a job and you develop some sort of a rapport with. right? Uh, it's, and, and, it's, it's a lot different if somebody just approaches you and says, hey, right. let's do this because right. you have to establish – Again, for just for your own survival, you have to establish some sort of a base of trust yes. or, or confidence. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I, uh, I would agree with that 100%. So, uh, without getting uh, going back to your time there in Saudi Arabia and then your time uh, when you became a private security contractor. So. Because in Saudi Arabia, that's one of a number of countries over there that we would consider as a relatively stable area. I mean, there, there's stuff going on, but and and we wouldn't necessarily call it a safe area, but it's way different than, say, Iraq or Afghanistan, working and living as a Western American. Um, so you're, from your experience, your perspective, work, having worked the time that you did in Saudi Arabia when you took on private security contracting – can you speak to the differences and 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 what those differences were um, in your experiences uh, from well, Saudi Arabia?
1: Well, there there's a common theme of and I think the entire world is kind of like this, no matter what job you get. But you start off and you're hired because you're the expert. You're hired because you have specific knowledge and skills and so they have an administrative person, uh, supervisor or whatever that watches over you or watches over the teams in general. But they make requests. You tell them your opinions and what they need, and then they get you what you need and uh, usually will go with your opinion. But it's morphed into as these contracts, they 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 want to take the uh, the gray areas, I guess, um out of the contracts and they'll they want a cookie cutter they don't mm-hmm. want any they don't want anything weird they, you know nobody wants to take responsibility for anything so they want everything cookie cutter so it's gone from you're the expert we hire you because you have these skills uh you know the, the department of state it used to be a vetting process you were expected to come to this high threat security with these skills and you had whether it was 14, 10 days, eighteen days, whatever the determination was, uh, you came with the skills. And if you didn't have the skill and you didn't show the skill, then you didn't get the you didn't get the work. You didn't get the job. Uh, now it's gone to, um, you know, you're not the, the the contractor really isn't trusted that much. Uh, you you're told what to do. You're not asked what your opinions are mm. and times you're put into bad positions that you know better because you're being uh, herded there by, you know, maybe somebody without the, the experience or the knowledge that the entire team has. But they're responsible and they're in charge and that's the way they want it. Hmm. So, so it's
0: gone from what? Very much
1: independent to very dependent? Oh, very, very restrictive. Yeah, hmm. sure. So, you know, and alcohol has always been one of the the good and bad things, the two-edged sword. Um, and when we started contracting, every place had its own bar, but you took care of yourself. You realized where where you were at, the implications, the, the struggles, the threats, and we watched each other. Uh, we policed each other, and you're always going to have... Something that happens. So they try and they try and just, well, we're just going to eliminate the whole problem altogether, which doesn't eliminate the problem. It just drives it into hiding and creates more problems. You know, now, you know, people these things, but they're in the room or they're off in the the corner and there's just a couple of them. And that just becomes more trouble. So Mm. rather than monitoring and supervising and having responsible actions, Uh, It's like they abdicate the responsibility and just say, whoa, you know, we didn't know he's fired. Huh. So so it's
0: so that what you've experienced um, is that transition from your from when you first started contracting um, in the 80s through nine, through the early 90s. um, It's changed dramatically from that time until you started contracting. when you got into the private security side of it in Bosra in 2007.
1: Yeah, and, and I well, mean they were different contracts, from, of course, but but even from 2007, I left in uh, 2018 pretty much permanently. I, I I think I decided that was enough. Um, it went from uh, again hiring people with the skills to just. Hiring people. Now, you know, everybody says, well, you know, it's minimum, it, it, it's lowering the standard, lowering the standard. And a lot of it is because you have two things. First off, any government agency, their goal is to to cut costs. It's like there's a guy that's his whole job is to cut costs. So they keep cutting costs you're bare bones. And mm-hmm. to get bare bones, you can't get a guy who's 100 percent because he has different options. You might okay. get a guy. You might get a guy that's eighty percent, but you learn to work with him and you bring him up to the standards that you need, whether it's OJT or whether it's through a full training uh, mm. regiment. And DOS has gone to that. I can speak more about DOS than I can about Department of Defense and about NGOs. I work for all three of them, but my primary experience is with the de- Department of State and their high threat security, you know, embassies and. and okay things like that, uh, diplomatic protection. And so, uh, as I said, it used to go from a vetting process. You show up, you know what you're doing, you're cut loose, and you're the expert to where now it's we just want you to have some sort of overseas experience, and now we send you to 40, I think it's a 48-day training class where they walk you through by the hand and teach you everything about every weapon system, about every tactic about every vehicle uh how to do motorcades how to walk with your principal how to do your executive protection should you be afforded that Um, and so they do a 48-day class on this and then they cut you loose and by doing that they keep lowering your standards and figuring out what the minimum standard that they can to actually have a person who can perform or, or who can act like they're performing the task correctly. And by doing that, you keep lowering the pay and lowering the pay and lowering the pay. And it turns into this cookie cutter kind of turnkey thing. It's mm. kind of like if you're wanting to open up a McDonald's franchise, right? You go to the University of McDonald's and they teach you all the things that they want you to know and then they cut you loose. Okay. Instead of you showing up saying, I can do this stuff and they trust you to do that. I, th- I think a lot of the trust is gone. Um, the companies really, they, they've turned from a lot of small companies to big corporate corporate entities. And there may, let's say you've got five different companies and they're vying for a particular um, task order. It doesn't matter really who gets it because those five companies are actually under the umbrella of this one huge company. Hmm. <laughs> wow
0: <laughs> Not like it used to be <laughs> oh. uh, Wow uh, So why do you think That it has Because I've heard this from other guys What you're saying uh, You're articulating it a little bit more than other guys But what do you think Led to where they're at Now what do you think
1: caused that What do you think happened
2: um,
1: I think the fact that nothing really serious happens—you have these little pockets of problems once in a while, right? You had Benghazi, which was just a, a horrible thing. Uh, we have some IEDs, some v attacks here and there, but they pulled back. Uh, like most places, your diplomatic mission doesn't even go out anymore. They have all—they have their their meetings come to you inside your compound. Hmm. I don't know how you can how you can do diplomacy if you're afraid to even go out to the people that you want to show that we support and you trust.
0: No, have have you heard why? I mean, has it ever been explained or expressed to you by anybody um, on that side of the fence as to why why they do that? Now,
1: mm, no, I I suspect it's just um, you know they don't want to. Or lack of, of better words, they don't want to be responsible, they don't want to have blood on their hands,
2: huh? Um,
1: you know,
0: it, it's interesting because the you know, that the, I've talked, you know, we talk about this uh, amongst ourselves. The tempo, uh, it's interesting you brought it up. The tempo in that region of the world has changed so much. Um, you know, guys, the guys that you talked about that had the skill sets um, when the war started. Started to quote-unquote wind down. So somewhere between, say, uh, let's say 2009, 2010, uh, we started seeing a lot of guys getting out and coming home. Um, and 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 since then, uh, we've seen this slow but steady uh, stream of guys that um, arguably are or are not qualified, but they can make a mission ready by sending them through these courses. Um, what's the attrition rate based on your experience? I mean, are are these guys, it sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of these guys really aren't cut out for it and they shouldn't be doing it. Well, but, but they're, but they're meeting the standard because they're passing the course. And I've, and I've heard all kinds of horror stories. I've seen some of it myself too. It's like, <laughs> I don't know how or why he made it through because he didn't qualify on these three or five things that they said he had to do. <laughs> and He didn't do well, it. They had to push him I, through it three times. <laughs>
1: I I will not pass judgment on anybody that I haven't laid in the dirt with, because I've had people that come in, you know, and they're 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 animals, you know, they're they're at the gym all day. They can run the fire firing systems, they can run all the weapon systems. Uh, they're just killer driving. They can do all these things, but as soon as it turns into a two way range, they can't function. Hmm. And then on the other hand, I've had guys that they're kind of fumbling, they're, they don't seem really confident about their abilities. Um, you know, you know the guy, and everybody's trying to make fun of him, but that's the guy when things get thick, he's standing on top of the T-Wall, rocking the 240, screaming, Come and get me. And he's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? So you can't until you land. You're until, right.
0: I've, I've seen the I've seen it both ways. You're
1: right. I've seen it. Yeah. But but generally speaking, I I think it is that, that yeah they're just trying to. Um, I think it's a two kind of a two way mission. So the hmm. company, the contracting company, is going to make more money by spending more time. You know, because face it, there's a there's a lot difference in the the bankroll of an 18-day uh train up that uses let's say a thousand rounds of ammunition per person then there is a 48-day course that you you know you have to house these people feed these people provide equipment for all these people uh put them on the range have them go through tactics and those tactics not only include that but they have to include the the vehicles you're working with so now we have to have more armored vehicles that are that are available for training because you can't teach somebody how to drive an armored sub in a motorcade with a Rav Four. <laughs> you know they have right. completely different Heck. characteristics, and if you try and do that, you're going to kill. You know, so those armored subs they have a very unique kind of characteristics of if you make it too harsh of a, of a adjustment. It'll start to tilt a little bit and then it'll like come back. And for that one second, you're gonna be like, okay, I got that. And then it just comes completely unglued. Right. (laughs) You know? And and So, so I think a lot of it is economics. I think a lot of it is, is maybe behind the scenes wheeling and dealing and, and how do we employ more people or how do we boost our budget? How do we make it seem like we're doing more, Uh, you know, because there's a guy in, in every one of these places, there's people in training and their task is we want it better, but we want you to do it cheaper. So they're, if they want their job, they got to figure out how to do it better. Mm. And then you also have people who are in maybe accounting or, or who are in the, the big five of the, uh, uh, the executive office and they sit around, well, how do we make more money? How do we become bigger? How do we become more secure? How do we get these contracts? And it, it turns into, I think, throw it in a blender and all these weird things come out. But mm. generally speaking, uh, I think it's – and you see it everywhere. How low of a standard can we get and how low can we pay until things come unglued? And then as soon as things come unglued, the fingers get pointed – they identify what they call failures that everybody knew about before, they just didn't want to say,
2: hmm.
1: and then we start again.
0: Okay, so um,
1: there was no diplomatic protection until I believe it, it was when a uh, an ambassador or a consulate general was assassinated in um, in Israel, and that's what started diplomatic protection right there. That's what started the Marine Security Guard right there.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, so cynically, I mean, we could say that um, the the way things have developed or evolved in uh, private security overseas is driven by the economics, the economic engine of uh, corporations. However, one could also argue that perhaps ideally... Or idealistically, however you want to call altruistically, maybe the State Department or some other government agency saw what they thought were deficiencies and were trying to fix those and saying, you know, in order to get the kind of people that we think we need and want over here, we need to go this route. Or maybe it's a blend of both.
1: I think it's a blend of both, but we also have to understand the mindset of both. So the Department of State, the people who run that organization, they want to see everything 100% diplomatic, right? Right.
0: And, well, that's their mission.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. would yeah. think, yeah. right? So in <laughs> high-threat security, you understand that give an inch, they take a mile. Right. <laughs> you have to be 100% all the time. The bad guys only have to be right once. Right. So yes. the, the problem is finding that middle ground, and you really can't do it with security. Because once you start compromising uh, on your security, what, what's the one thing that they always say you can't give up? What can you not give up? You cannot give up security. Right. Right. When you're in the field, that's the one thing you cannot give right. can, up. Uh, you can go, you can go out with with logistics a little bit. You can get rid of, you know, food for a day. You can eat MREs. You know, you can eat bugs for for a day. You know, you can drink dirty water if you have to. But the one thing you cannot give up is security. So now you are you're, you're faced with an animal, a two-headed animal and one says diplomatic mission at all costs, diplomacy at all cost and then the other end of the animal saying like no 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 security at all cost And they're trying to meet in the middle, but who's the boss? Right So do you
0: do you view what's what's happened since you began in '86 until you got out in 2018? Do you view that as the... Uh, uh, what did they call it? The, the the pendulum effect going back and forth. I mean, is, is, do you view it that way or do you I see it, as, it?
1: I haven't seen it come back yet. I we're all we're, I've seen it only on the one swing. Uh, and that's the that's the lowering the standard, lowering the pay, lowering everything. And at some point in time, it's either going to come completely undone and swing back the other way or it's just going to disappear. Right. In, well, the, the idea, of, you know, the idea of, of security and the diplomatic mission is to remove the tensions and to remove the problems, so we can all, you know, have hugs and kisses and, and feel good. But that's not human nature. Hmm.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I understand from perhaps a diplomatic perspective, um, they they view things differently, and when it comes to security. Uh, you know, it's the stereotype is we're just a bunch of knuckle dragging apes um, and we're a necessary evil. And when we're not absolutely needed, go hide in your cave. <laughs> you
1: know. Well, I heard I heard a uh, I'm, I'm not going to give the names, uh, but they were coming down the ramp of of their transportation. And she looked around and said, see, this is why you need to finish college. So you don't have to be like these monkeys over here. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, and I'm standing across from two guys that have master's degrees. There's a guy who's driving; he's got a doctorate, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. You mm-hmm. know, everybody that I've met that's been in this in the business for any time at all, they've all got excellent degrees in very, very varied fields and very intelligent.
0: You know it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I mean obviously I've I've seen it all you know the the guys that you know didn't finish high school and the guys that like you're talking about had masters maybe multiple masters degrees it's like what the heck so uh, we saw we saw them all but you you speak to an important point and I remember one time and I won't go into details on the guy but he was he was a retired I think he was retired but he was ex army guy and he said you know people give uh infantry a bad rap but you guys are a lot smarter than you realize and he went through this whole thing it took him about five minutes and you realized all the soldiering skills you learn uh both in the military and as private security uh you do got to be pretty quick pretty bright um and on top of things and you you know you're, you're fairly intelligent because you got to learn a lot of things very quickly and be very good at them and we we could spend hours going into all those things that you got to learn to be good at. But you, you make a good point. I mean, a lot of these guys are very intelligent, and as the pool gets smaller, um, those guys are even smarter and more capable.
1: Sure, you know, I, I can't, I can't count the number of guys that while they were on their off time. So you know, you deploy for months at a time, and at the most, you're working half a day. So you've got your whole other half day, and whether you choose to sleep or or what you want to do, you know, you get gym time in, maintain your fitness, uh, do your academics. But I've met more guys that have started their own successful businesses. They they sat down during that time and they planned it. They they went to online classes or they they watch online seminars. They they developed. I know guys that have. developed. Mm apps and that that have computer skills that do internet things. Uh, there's guys who have developed clothing lines. Uh, all kinds of things. Just amazing people. Really are. And and I think that's the trick. Um you know I spent a lot of years contracting because maybe I'm just not so smart. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy the job and let's face it I enjoy the travel it's hard being away from, from home it's hard. it takes a toll on your family life but you're working on you, you realize that you're working on your nest aid and it's a, it's a great opportunity and I really suggest it because you've got all these, these guys they don't really know how to make it work you go into the military you go into the service you're making a couple hundred bucks a month Um, But like you said, you learn all these logical things, these analytical skills. The trick is, how do I transition those into the civilian world? Because, you know, it's two different mindsets. Uh, You know, military, most of the guys who do this, you know, it's it's very direct, uh, you know, we're going to chew off some nails, we're going to take a direct path and this is going to happen in the civilian world. You have to navigate these obstacles, you have to get people on your side, you have to be more diplomatic. So that's kind of a transitional phase. You can get out of the military with your, your basic skills or you can get out of uh, or law enforcement. Uh, we had a lot of air marshals, uh, things like things, the guys like that. You can get into there, you can take time and breathe. Because you're getting, you're still getting a pretty excellent paycheck. The trick is, don't live like a rock star. You don't come out and be like, I got all this money, and you know, I know guys they bought five cars, three houses, and then in three years they're like, oh, I got to keep working because I can't afford this. So sock that money away. You know, while you're there, we've got on, we've got amazing things that have changed. You know, in '86, uh, Saudi Arabia, that was very challenging. It was writing letters. You had very very limited telephone time. It's very expensive. Uh, now we've got Skype. We've got Zoom. You've got the whole internet about everywhere you go. You can do online classes. You can you can do anything that interests you to better your life and to get you where you want to go to be self sufficient. Um, you know, I got my degree uh, online while I was uh, while I was deployed, and mm-hmm. that gave me the the thing that I needed to start my own business. Uh, so save that money, do it for two or three or five years. You know, you can sock away a lot of money, form a plan. And then at least, you know what, you have some guys, you have money in your bank and that gives you breathing room. You can come out and you're not stressed about what am I going to do? How am I going to support my family? How do I, you know, how do I get into this life? You go there and you have your bank account and you can take two or three weeks off. You can fly on a, a vacation to Fiji you can dive for a month and you can talk to people and you can say hey that's a great idea this is what I want to do you can find yourself mm. and your family can find you you just gotta think of constantly remember your future set your goals get in make your money get out and get on with get on with what you want to do with your life take a break you know right you know that
0: that that is uh, <clears throat> That comes up uh, periodically. Normally, the guys that have been around the block a few times and learned the hard way, um, it's kind of like the parent trying to tell the child. <laughs> uh, they're listening, but they don't really get it until they experience it. Um, but, but you know, it, it's interesting because over the years, contracting overseas, uh, you mentioned the pay, uh, for a long time it was pretty good, and some contracts paid a lot better than others. Uh, depending on the mission and where it was um but it's gotten to a, it got to a point i think where a lot of guys got out because the pay got so stupid i mean for lack of a better term i mean i remember you know recruiters contacting me and you know you shake them up and say well how much does it pay <laughs> and you say 175 a day to go where <laughs> yeah.
2: um
0: you know and, and then a lot of guys you know uh i don't know i know some guys personally who did it so i'm assuming and and you hear that a lot of people signed up for it we're still doing it but some guys are still doing it because they're they're stuck in it because they don't know what else to do they've tried to you know go back to being a civilian and they can't make it work uh the jobs aren't there they're overqualified i mean i had i went through all that same stuff you know you're overqualified you know or you know a couple guys were honest enough to say well if we hire you we're afraid you're going to leave in a week or a month you know, for a better paying job. So it's kind of, you're stuck in that vicious circle. A lot of guys are stuck in that vicious circle. Well,
1: um, yeah. And, and that, that is a fact. Um, uh, the, the thing is, is that you, you know, people hate change. It's easy. You know, you're, you're talking about, because when I started there were jobs that, that I was making $900,000 a day. Um, now, you know, there's guys, like you said, they're taking jobs that are $150 a day. But the, the difference is, is is that's that's easy for them. They don't have to think. They have a place to live. People make their food. They have a job that they really don't have. It's just repetition. And so you can kind of like, you know, kind of like a salmon fighting its way upstream. You can eddy out behind a rock a little bit. You don't have to stay there forever. But don't get stuck there. Take a breather. Mm-hmm. You know, breathe a little bit. You know, uh, decompress. Let your mind work. Figure out a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing with... with uh, you have all these things you have like alcoholic anonymous has the, the term halt. Uh, the survival school had the term stop, you know, whatever you're going just sit down, think for a minute, organize yourself and proceed. Mm. And it, if you can eddy out into one of these jobs, like I said, it doesn't have to pay a lot, but you're still traveling. You're still getting your, your basic needs and your expenses paid for. And it gives you time to think. It really does. Right. Um, oh, now,
0: oh, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I do remember that. And and even to this day, it, it, it was it wasn't always like that. But most of the times when I came home for a rotation, for a break, um, it, it, it it was nice being able to say, you know what? I don't have to work uh, for these 30 or 45 days that I'm home. Um, and sometimes I stayed home for more than that. Sometimes I stayed home for months at a time um
1: and and it's kind of got a synergistic kind of feel to it because you know like i I point out to people they say well you're gone all the time say yeah but if i'm at home i'm working a a 12-hour day between traveling getting there and getting back and then i have to i have to eat i got to clean now what i got to work on the tractor i got to work on the car (laughs) so so that's the weekend here's my weekend no we don't get to go play out the park kids i got to work on the car So I got to spend an hour getting out my tools, setting up a tarp, you know, if it rains, if it suns, whatever, I got to get my things together. Now I got to go find the parts. I get the right part. It's the wrong part. Who knows? So half the day is already gone. So now I have another half day and part of the next day to get this work done. Now I'm done. Right. So now I got to spend my four or five hours putting things away, getting everything. So, In that weekend, I really only had three or four, maybe eight hours to do this. So now when you have this block of 35 days, I put everything out once. I get everything I need done right now. It's efficient. I put it away, and now I have nothing else to do. Right. Now I have family time. And who gets 30 days in a row of family time? (laughs) You usually usually get two hours a night with the kids. Right on the weekend with the kids but then you're still struggling because you know you got to get the laundry done you got to you got to do the food shopping you know the kids are there but you're you're still there's still partially there and you're trying to maximize your time so you're teaching them how to shop you're teaching them how to you know make the determination between cost and value and weights and and all these things which is is wonderful you can do that but it's not it turns into where it's not really that you try and make it quality time But you don't really have it. But you come home for 35 days with really nothing to do, and the bonus is you got a paycheck where I don't got to work on that car, take it to the shop. You guys do that. (laughs) Shoot my kids.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Those uh, those trade offs and those uh, those perks and benefits uh, uh, made a lot of it worth it. Um, In addition to the fact that you know, for a lot of us, uh, we got to a point where we really enjoyed it, and and uh, it was kind of in our blood, and we just didn't want to stop. Um, and we really felt at home when we were over there but you hearkened to something earlier about when we were talking about the tempo and the way things have changed and where they're evolved now and it had to do with because and it might have been in that sidebar conversation you and i had before this which was um there's no wars going on per se you know i mean there is you know
1: uh there's fighting there's conflict but but everybody's pretty well secure and there's not a lot of there's
0: not a whole lot of ugliness going on. Right. I mean, yeah, and it, it still happens. It still goes on a lot, but just is not reported uh, because there's too many other distractions for them to report on. So you're right. Stuff still does go on there. Um, so when you were uh, when you got your start in private security in 2007 there in Basra until 2018, when you got out, what what kind what 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 were you doing there uh, and where were you working? What um, where were your different types of? projects what were your experiences there
1: oh well you know it's been anywhere from you know locked down uh hiding in bunkers uh to being out uh you know full motorcades doing 18 hour days driving two or three hours or six or eight hours going out on a mission um you know it's 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 all oh it's all over the place yeah, you,
0: you worked in Iraq and Afghanistan as well as Israel and, and yeah. Saudi Arabia and other places, but you worked Iraq and Afghanistan as well, right?
1: Right. Yes. And so so Iraq, the in the the Basra Rio, uh, we were pretty much locked down. We got there uh, and we were doing a couple missions, but the the hostility got so bad. And of course, it's right down there by uh, Iran. So the Republican Guard is out there instigating things. Um, and we, we wound up with a lot of IDF and and hiding out in, on the, on the Rio itself. And we basically, we we had to close that Rio down, that regional embassy office. We had to close that down and and it was basically abandoned, uh, kind of in the middle of the night. Um, Mm. and, and, but then, you know, then we had the, the, uh, the other part of that where we were up in Talil, Iraq, um where things were weren't so bad and we'd go out on uh maybe it, it, if i recall there was about we were there for about a month and a half before we really did anything and then we go out on these a uh, half day or full day missions uh you know driving to small villages trying to to get infrastructure set up water electricity and things like that uh then you have israel uh jerusalem where some days we do uh you know, 40, 50 missions a week, and you're just constantly mm. on the road. And it was all motorcade operations. And so, those motorcade operations, you know, that's the full thing. You've got the full advance package, you've got the motorcade package, you've got the QRF or the CAT package. And then, plus, you had little uh, shadowing uh, elements as well. So, um, you know, Kuwait, it was mostly just a transitional team house where we'd have, you know, every 30 days, you'd have people coming and going out of, out of the country or coming back into work or going out to R&R. And so they'd be there anywhere from from overnight to two or three days to a week to de- decompressing what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's really all over the place. Afghanistan, um, I got there originally. I did a, a DOD contract, and we were out and about, and then they had some, some logistical administrative problems. They couldn't get along with the government. So that got, that project got removed. And then I got on with a couple of NGOs that were for, uh, for USAID and the red cross for a little while. And we were out, uh, probably twice a day in going through Kabul and, and out of the villages from Kabul. And we'd make some trips out to Jalalabad, uh, and we'd go all over the place. Um, even today, they do that a little bit. Uh, the problem with working with the NGOs is is the funding is not, you know, if you're with the DOT, you've got good funding. If you're with the Department of State, you've got good funding. The NGOs, they get grants. And when that money is gone, it's gone. So mm-hmm. you might, you know, you get hired on and say, okay, you got this year contract. Uh, but you're there two months and they pull you in and say, oh, well, the money's gone on Sunday, pack up. <laughs> and Sunday morning they say, ah, guess what? We got more money We're here until, you know, next November. And so, <laughs> your, so temple, your mission temples are all over the place. And you, you've got static things like uh, like they've got uh, there's a there's one of the companies that it, it takes care of the Iron Dome defense, which is in Israel, uh, intercepts any rockets coming out of the Gaza area. Um, you've got some things up northern Israel. And you're really all over the place. It's Mm. just there's a lot of luck falling into it. There's a lot of specific skills. I mean, as much as I've done and the time that I've spent, there's some places that say, well, you don't have the specific thing that we want. You know, some of them Mm. they don't care. They don't care what you did or how much education you have or how much experience you have. If you weren't in some sort of uh, a spec ops team, they don't want you. Mm. Um, right. there are some places they don't want anybody that's in the spec op team uh they they want people who just maybe regular deployment mm. it's all over the place and it, it's all contacts it's all networking and uh, some people just fall into things you know i like okay. mentioned uh you know the dod contracts love the dod contracts they tend not to pay quite as much and they're they're more difficult to find mm. um, the DOS tends to, to pay a lot, but they're static and there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to get involved with it. But once you're in on it, once you have all of those certifications and all that training stuff, then it behooves them to keep you um, because they've got all that invested. Right. And right. It, used to, it used to be really easy to jump from, from one contract to another. Uh, it's more difficult, uh, mm. they're, they're, even though all the qualifications are the same. You know, the, you get your security clearance, but then the company holds that security clearance. You don't hold that security clearance. You leave them. They have to release it. Well, maybe they want to release it. Maybe they don't want to release it. Maybe right. they're bad because, you know, they don't want to encourage people defecting. Maybe they don't care. It's it's all over the place. And you have no recourse as a contractor, <laughs> you know.
0: Right. So as, as, whereas in the past. um, It was a lot, a lot easier. Flexible may not be the right term, but a lot easier for guys to come and go and switch and jump. Um, So they so over the years, they developed some sort of a truce alliance, whatever you want to call it, whereby the both the government agencies and the private corporations can, uh, for lack of a better term, protect their investments because they're like you said earlier, they spend a lot of money getting you over there and getting you trained up. They, you know, they want to get a return on that.
1: Sure, and but and the problem though that that, that creates is there's no there, there's really a, for lack of a better word it's not a free enterprise system where the best value the best company gets the best people. Whoever you go to work for, let's say there there's. A, B, C, and D company that I would love to name, but we're not going to throw that out there. And and B company, you know, their administration is horrible, but their flight schedules are great. And then C company, everybody hates them, but A company (laughs) hires everybody um, and they don't care. And then you can go and D company will hire you. But if you leave, you'll never see any of your papers again. Right. So you'll fall into these things. Not really, because you want a job. People need a job. Right. And, and, or they want the experience, and they'll get into it, and then they start discovering uh, the little intricacies. So before, you could hop back and forth, and that kept all the companies, kind of, for lack of a better word, honest. It mm. kept them honest. It kept them um, willing to work with you, um, willing to support you and you supported them. But now it's like, well, we have all these rules, so... You do what you want to and and nothing changes, right? Hmm. There's no incentive for the company to be a better company for the employee. They're just they turns out to, you know, they just want to keep their contract full, regardless. And so right. some some people will get stuck in this company that they really don't like, but they they can't leave because like I said, the company holds all the cards. Um, and If you leave, then, you know, you never hear from anybody again. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Once once you're in line, stay in line, right? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been there a couple of times and uh, I I don't remember when it happened, but I'm going to say it was pretty close to about the time that I got out. Um, That was about the time that I realized that, you know, if you get out of line, you may not be able to get back in it. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, well, well, they came out with this thing. It's like, uh, you know, whatever, uh, chicken or beef, aisle or wind, window. You know, it's like, and that was back, <laughs> there was their rea- reaction to everything. And instead of, and what's, you know, people can can mock the military system all they want, but the military system does create excellent leaders if you let it. Right. And there are excellent leaders that come out, but the but. The problem is a lot of these guys that get promoted within the contracting realm, it's either that they've got a friend, so you've got this cronyism thing going, or they're just the one who was able to put up with the BS long enough to get the seniority, and he's the only one willing to take the job. So you wind up with not do this because it's the right thing to do. Guys do this because although... You know, we don't want to. It's what the client is directing us to do. So help me out. It turned into do it or leave. Shut right. up, go maintain, because now it's, it's not about it's not about quality. It's about status quo.
2: Mm.
0: And so the, so you're saying that from your experiences, that's 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 what's happened. That's where it's gone
1: now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's where that's where we're at right now. It, it's do it or leave.
0: Do you see it changing in the future?
1: Not in the near future, no. Hmm.
0: Oh, so I, I, what I
2: mean,
0: would it take? Would it take another outbreak, another direct hostilities uh, exchange in militaries between countries? Is that what it would take?
1: I I don't know. I think it take. it's going to take something like that. It's going to take a mind change with, I think, with the federal government. They have to realize that you can't keep lowering the standard and keep, and keep quality people, but you also hmm. have to realize that, the people you, at some point in time you have to trust wholeheartedly the people you hire now one company that i was working for i loved it if you wanted to progress in the company they had online leadership classes online morality classes online mm. finance classes and if you wanted to progress you had to go online and you had to do so many hours of these different classes mm. if you wanted to be a team lead and then once you're a team lead, if you wanted to be, let's say, a uh, detail leader, you had to do more of these classes. Hmm. Whether you whether you believed in it or took in it in or not, at least you're getting imparted knowledge and information. You're given tools to do your job. And most of those leaders I found were some of the best people I've been around. I hmm. would love to, I would love to put out some names of some folks that I worked with over at the Baron Hotel that I have nothing but wonderful praise for. Um, uh, hmm. there's one particular one, uh, you know, she moved out and she's doing some stateside stuff. One of the best leaders, one of the, the best people, most respected people I, I could ever, ever think of. Huh. And, and I don't, I'm not going to say it was because of that system or, or if that person was just like that to begin with. But on the other hand, um, a lot of these other companies were, were some of the, the worst leadership that I've ever ever seen and it's threats and intimidation and you really can't do anything because as soon as you say something about it, then they actively start looking for ways to get rid of you. And, and like I said, so it's turned into not a quality. We don't want to hear from you. It's it, it turned into status quo. You want to keep mm. your job. Don't try and make things better. So it's gone from an
0: open and honest environment to a toxic environment.
1: I, I, I,
0: that's my view. Of it. Right. No, I mean, I hear that, that from guys. That, I mean, some of the guys I, that, that are still doing it, that have been doing it for a while and are still doing it, that's what they're saying.
1: Of course, that's not every person. Of course, you know, you're, you're going to find these pockets. But right. in general terms, you know, um, I think that's really how it is. It's okay. kind of, it's kind well, of toxic. Well, I mean, it, nothing and wrong I, with being honest. It, and well, And I don't see a way of them getting out of it other than seeing it for what it truly is. right? And the company doesn't want to do that because they have these people are invested in. And then the Department of the State, they have these wonderful, this wonderful uh, kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, motto of, you know, we don't get involved in the internal politics of your company. We're just here to run the overall show until they want to get involved and then they'll, they'll get involved. <laughs> And they'll do all this stuff. They, they came up with this wonderful thing. It was, it was an LOC. So it's a lack of confidence letter. Mm. And so, and there can be no rhyme or reason for it all other than just this this RSO. He didn't like you. Or you didn't wear the right shoes. Or he didn't like the way you, you ran that uh, that tactical uh, exercise. Mm. He'll say, look, I, I don't have any confidence in that guy. So he'll write a letter and you're gone and you have no recourse. Wow. <laughs> wow. And of course, the company doesn't want to rock the boat. Right. <laughs> as, as great as ever, you know, we're not going to we're not going to um, accept this. No, they're just like, oops oh, sorry. You yeah. hear
0: that a lot. Don't rock the boat, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: it.
0: Wow. So w- it, it, with your with your experiences for the various agencies, was there an agency or a department that, uh you could call your favorite or the one that you like the best?
1: Oh, well, the one I enjoyed were, were all of the NGOs, the non-governmental mm. organizations, uh, Red Cross, uh, USAID. I, I really enjoyed those. Um, mm. If you're working with the uh, the Department of State uh, High Threat Protection, it, it comes and goes with, with your principal, even if you're allowed to have a principal. So much of it now is just static security. Um, you know, hang out in this tower and observe or... Or wait in this uh, this reaction truck uh, for your 12 hours. Uh, mm. A lot of that you, and then that's a big problem is that you don't get to interact anymore. So that view of us versus them, that that crevice widens and gets deeper. Sure.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, that it, interaction is huge between us and them. I mean that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and it it turns into and you've seen this all the time. Oh, you guys! You dumbasses, knuckle draggers! Uh, <laughs> you know, dogs on the leash, and a lot of a lot of open disrespect and a lot of open hostility until wow. something happens. Right. Then you guys are the greatest in the world, and that goes on for three or four days, and then you're back to us and them. Wow.
0: So, so where? So this this um, this hunker down static. Uh, thing with, without the missions going on and people not traveling around with the State Department in those those areas in the region, um, but outside in other places like you said, for example, um, Israel. W- why do you think that is? I mean, w- why do you think they're not? It, is is it current in the current state that we find ourselves in? Is it truly this 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 widely accepted concern about this mysterious disease? Or is there something else at play?
1: No, no. There there's more. There's much more. This this has been going on f- way, way before this this pandemic thing came out. They've been mm-hmm. locked down and, and it's they they we're told, well, the threat is too high. Well, that's the diplomatic mission. It, right. was,
0: it wasn't it, too high I, in two thousand seven, two thousand
1: nine. <laughs> exactly. That that's why it's called it's not called kind of threat security i right. <laughs> threat security and and right. i think i think a lot of it is again the department of state or the specific rso's and with the caliber of people that we have they don't respect your opinion or they don't trust you to say we can run this mission mm. because if you do everything right if you do what you're supposed to you will never have a problem because you identify those precursors. Right. Right. You notice that you're driving down the road that's always crowded. You, well, you take that left-hand turn and everybody runs away where there's nobody there. Oops. So we don't <laughs> feel like okay. Let's keep going. No, you go back reverse out. Let's right. go back home. Or reverse out. We're going to go to you know our tertiary route or something like that.
0: Right. Uh, that, and that was that, that's an interesting um, uh, scenario you bring up because it seems counterintuitive to um, be in where there's a lot of people in crowded areas when you're moving around. But not only do you, to some extent, depending on how you're traveling, you can blend in. But the other thing is that, you know, there's there's a there's a lower risk that the bad guys are going to open up and start shooting if, if you're in a crowded area. Um yeah. So <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so as you know, and I, I hate to put the brakes on this, but we're, we're coming up on a wrap up time. Um, is there something, something else, maybe two, something else's, um, or a takeaway that you'd like to uh, get out there or leave people with?
1: Oh, I don't know. It, to each his own. I think, I think it's a wonderful experience. Um, uh, I think it's what you make of it. Right. Um, mind your, you know, mind your P's and Q's, go into it with open eyes, Um, listen, look, do a lot of observing, keep your mouth shut, right, Uh, (laughs) listen to the guys who have been there, every, every contract, every AO, everything is, every place is different, listen to the guys who have been there and if they say, well, you don't really want to be bringing these up to this, you know, don't be, well, no, we need change, just listen to them and you know, sometimes you can learn how to affect change uh, gently. You know, you don't have to push it. If you, if you know the right people or you, you just have that, um, that natural ability, sometimes you can do it. Sometimes there's nothing you can do anything about. Uh, but I, if contracting is something that people are interested in, that a guy is interested in, you know, look into it. Go, do it. If you if you meet the qualifications, put your all into it. When you go to the training, you have, like everything else, have no distractions. You go there with the idea I'm going to be here 48 days. I'm not dealing with anything else. Uh, no drama. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to go see. Mm-hmm. Once you're there, seeing you're you're welcome to leave anytime. You I, we've had guys that have shown up, they've walked off the plane, they've gotten their issue, they looked around, they said what? No, and they've gotten on the. <laughs> And then again, we've had guys that, that kind of show up. They're, they're kind of mousy, uh, scared eyes, and they wind up, uh, you know, staying for years. Mm. But, but, you know, go into, set your goals. Set your goals. You, you know, if you're getting out, this is one of the greatest opportunities that have ever been for guys in the military. They get out. They really don't know what they want to do. They, they haven't set themselves up. For success, or they just didn't have the, they weren't in the position to do that. You've got experience, and this transition will allow you to learn a little bit about how to transition your military skills into some sort of a profitable civilian life, mm-hmm. and it will give you months or years to make a plan and to transition fully into the civilian life. That's a great. Yeah, and being frustrated. And, and not knowing what to do and, and trying to get a job at, at McDonald's with people who don't even, you know, they they don't even have the skills to work at McDonald's. But <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not dissing McDonald's people. Everybody, right. you know, everybody does stuff. But, you know, what I'm talking about there's people that belong to uh-huh. places and people that just occupy space.
0: Right. man. That's a great point. What you were talking about. Uh, a great way to transition um that that's a great one and and the you know the takeaways of um you know uh keeping your money there um and giving yourself some breathing space and because you because as a private security contractor you are now a civilian and you're doing private work and it is and so that's that's something i hadn't really considered that's a great point you know great way to start transitioning um if you can't if you haven't got it figured out um so let me ask you, so what are you doing these days? Now that you're out of private security contract and you got out in 2018, uh, what are you doing these days um, and what are your plans for the future?
1: Well, right now, I'm just, again, I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I would like to, to take a break. I'm trying to figure out where I want to do it. I, I'd like to get a, a sailboat and go down to Polynesia and either stay down there or just maybe travel the ocean once or twice and then maybe find out something else to do hmm. um I'm looking for i'm trying still trying to find that you know that golden nugget where everybody wants where they can work on the internet work from home work remotely and still you know bring in a, a little paycheck doesn't have to be enough right you know you rat pull some money from uh, from contracting uh it keeps you going but you know, you always want to augment your lifestyle. And, you know, guys like that do this, like we discussed the alpha, uh, the alpha type, you're not comfortable just sitting around watching the world go by. You want to do things. And I want to do things. I'd, I'd like to. I I love to travel. You know, the military turns you into gypsies. Once you're <laughs> traveling, you see the world out there. You see all these wonderful, beautiful things. You know, I love to see. The, the culture, I, I love, I love Rome, I like the old buildings, I like the people there, I like the villages, they've all got their own thing going on, I love France, uh, go down south, you know, check out the, the uh, truffle uh, uh, festivals that they have in the fall,
2: mm. um,
1: yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to get something uh, online, uh, of course, I'm basically, you know, uh, electronically illiterate, my uh, I have my grandkids take care of my phone for me. You know, put this <laughs> <thing. laughs> like, on do, do, do. there. You go. Um, <laughs> no, 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 and and things always come together. Things always work out if you you have the patience, you have the resources, you'll get to where you need to go. Right.
0: Stay focused. Keep that head down and keep moving.
1: Try. It. Right. Shoot. Move. Communicate.
0: <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh uh Stephen, this has been a wonderful conversation we may have to do a follow-up uh on this um so uh as we bring this to a close i want to thank everybody uh for tuning into this episode again uh, my guest was uh Stephen hackworth <clears throat> and uh so uh until we come around next time uh, remember to uh be careful what you wish for and uh keep it real folks
1: Thanks a lot, Scott. Have a great day.
0: (laughs) All right, Stephen. Hang (laughs) on the line. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) You bet.